We started culturally speaking to indulge our curiosity about the way others live and a desire to inspire conversations about how we have far more in common than we realise. Okay, so this week, the story, the guest we have, I think is quite unique. Actually, I've never talked to anyone about voice, uh, although voice is something that we use daily. Um, before we listen to Sylvie's story, I'm going to ask you the million dollar question, Neha. Do you like your voice? <laughs> oh, it's funny because you can't hear your own voice. Mm. it's only again because we do this as a you know we produce the podcast that we kind of have this voice selfie to go back and listen to Mm -hmm. I wouldn't say I love my voice do I like my voice (laughs) oh that's an interesting I do think it's part of my identity Mm-hmm. So, and I think if you have to practice self-love in all things, then yes, actually, you you have there's an acceptance of it. So, okay, I think similar. I think I never used to like my voice, but I've accepted my voice. Mm. That makes sense. So, it sounds insane, but I used to really envy girls with a more feminine voice I would say both you and I registered lower absolutely like I'm I was never ever going to be a soprano (laughs) (laughs) and you know when I watch like horror films and these girls like scream I honestly don't think that's what I would sound like in that situation I think I'm much more likely to swear to be honest than scream but (laughs) (laughs) I can attest to that (laughs) but at the same time I just I used to feel like my voice reduced my femininity because it didn't sound as feminine. Yeah. 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 I think where I find more acceptance in my voice, and again, this Mm -hmm. is probably down to what you and I do in our day jobs. Mm -hmm. It does lend itself to gravitas having Mm -hmm. a slightly deeper tone. Yeah. And, due to the nature of what we do I think it's fair to say we it helps yes it does we get taken more seriously probably than if we had squeaky voices we also mirror what we see around us don't we um and I think voice is part of behavior so interestingly I sound different when I speak different languages yes I can imagine that. And I don't think it's just because of the language or the dialect. I think, like you said, the voice coming, you know, with the identity, quite naturally, if you are multicultural like we are, I think we do carry slightly different versions of ourselves when we are in, you know, whatever the majority culture is in the environment. Um, And... Speaking of which, I think accents kind of ties in quite nicely with that because I think I think my Cantonese has changed. 
so when I first came to school here, and then I would only really be speaking English. So English became my, you know, first Primary. language. Yeah,、uh, I would say I would consider myself equally fluent, to be honest. By now, but I used to speak Cantonese with a Western twang. Whenever <laughs> I would go back, and people would find it hilarious, or they would assume that I'm not from there. And even now, I go into a shop. A lot of the times. They try to speak to me in English, so that's not actually that unusual. So、mm. when <laughs> it's very rare that I ever speak English around you, but if I do, my mum always laughs because it's so anglicised,、mm. and that's because I've grown up here,、yeah. and I've never, ha- unlike you, growing up in Hong Kong, speaking、mm. Cantonese daily. I've never lived in India. Ah,、oh, that's true. Yeah. So I've always learnt it. In with anglicized ears, so to speak. But it's funny because everyone around me that speaks it doesn't speak it anglicized. <laughs> it's just、you、when、know. I learn, when I practice, or I have to say something. Yeah. Obviously, my tongue is so much more used to, you know, speaking English that I think the sounds naturally come out. There is something in that because apparently, if you learn multiple languages before a certain age, you actually are able to hear. More of the nuances, so there's because I grew up speaking multiple languages. I think I pick up new languages, or at least I can, you know, make the pronunciations a lot easier. I agree. I think that there is definitely studies about that, and about children that grow up in bilingual households often find it then easier at school to pick、yeah. up a, a language. And I, I do think that there is some truth in that, and I think. The intricacies, whether it's cases, tenses, genders, verb endings, you are、mm. slightly more tuned into it because you know I mean, you're aware of it. I was I was saying to someone that I don't remember how I learned English because it was probably such a natural osmosis happening if you were speaking it both that and Cantonese day to day at home at nursery. I mean, I remember. At school, maybe in primary school, having to learn like you know past participle, like I, I,、mm. there was a learning part of it, but I just don't remember it. And obviously now, when I speak, I don't think about it before I speak. <laughs> um, yeah. But speaking of, shall we? Shall we have a listen to Sylvie's story? Let's do it. Hi, my name is Sylvie. I am an executive voice accent and communications coach. I am based in London, UK at the moment, but I am originally from Vancouver, Canada, and、um, it's been really interesting being in the UK as a Canadian, as an expat, and teaching voice, teaching people how to develop their vocal confidence, understand what's going on with their voices and bodies in communication, and when. When we start to think about all of this, it is just a really empowering skill to have. And I suppose my background is more so in the performative arts to begin with, and I studied my master's of fine art in voice. And there's only really five different places in the world to study that, so it is a very, very niche topic.、Uh, I have also really specialized into intercultural communication. As well as、uh, speaking to international audiences, which is a huge part of the DEI component of what I look at when we are communicating and how we use our voices with people. What does a voice coach do? Basically, what we do is that we help people with their voices in general. Now, voice coaching has come from more of a historical context of 
performative arts in teaching actors and performers how to use their voices to sing and how to use them for speaking when we are in a theater or in different spaces like that. And basically from that, we kind of start to spin off into somebody who is more into vocal development in the practical voice in the body and dealing with that. And then the other part is accent and dialect coaching. When you start to look at those things, once somebody has studied voice coaching, generally speaking, they would go into that type of realm. However, I have uh, bridged the gap between teaching all these things within more of a corporate context in using the types of ideas and pedagogy, but creating, um, creating a bridge to help other people understand what it is that we do. How do you adopt some of the exercises in a different way so that you can still build on your vocal confidence by working on your voice in a different way in more of sometimes a more literal context, but without so much of the body work, especially when you're dealing with people who are working in offices. But at the end of the day, you are building and developing your voice so that you have more confidence to communicate more clearly with your voice and also to develop a more positive relationship to your voice. And that's what I'd say what a voice coach really does. Voice is the technical thing that comes out of our mouth <laughs> when we speak, um, but it is something that it can be explained in two different ways, I think. One is a sound that comes out and, and the power of the sound that can come out of the body if we allow it to, if we know what to do with it. And um, you can also see that as the medium of sharing our thoughts and feelings and ideas and opinions through our voice. Uh, our voices can be shaped in so many different ways through sound, through words, um, through writing. And so if you're asking what voice is, voice is sharing your thoughts, ideas, opinions, and feelings in whatever way that you want to share it, that would be your voice. But if you choose to use it physically through your body to share it through sound that comes out and is produced through your body, then that's the voice that I deal with a lot more. And when we feel connected to this voice, it has to be a good feeling in the body. If the feeling is not good, half the time we feel uncomfortable with saying what we want to say, there will be some type of a quality inside the voice that will tell us that I'm not 100% with it, but I might be almost fully there. But you can often tell what's going on in someone's voice uh, by how they're feeling and how that starts to affect the physical parts of the voice as well. How I fell into voice work really was when I was training as a performer. I didn't really know what voice work was until I was open to all of these different courses in university within the drama sphere, and I wasn't actually majoring in that place. However, I did do my first um, class there, and that was a quite an eye-opening experience because I had never really been into kind of like a boot camp class. It was no, no theory in the teaching, even though you learn a little bit about the theory and how you are using your voice. But compared to like a psychology class, you don't sit there with a textbook. You are actually in the room doing things. And that made me want to think about how do I discover more of this? And I had thought about, should I go into broadcast journalism or should I explore acting? Acting was a really deep dive and really being thrown into the deep end without really knowing where to go. So I actually chose that one um, and took a little bit of courage to do that. But also it was easier for me because uh, the school was at home in Vancouver. Um, so when I did that, that was where I started using the voice more, discovering different classes throughout a whole year of how my voice could transform in different classes through different texts. Um, and it wasn't until a Shakespeare class there 
that I had a really, really passionate teacher. And I never actually paid so much attention to Shakespeare before, because every time that you have an English teacher, the teacher is part of the curriculum, but the passion is not really there. But this is the first time that I've had a teacher that was actually super passionate about it, lived for it and happened to be teaching it. And I just fell in love with it. And because he was a voice teacher, he actually told me what was going on with my voice. And I was just really fascinated by what he could tell from my voice. Um, voice is a very slow moving type of skill to build. Um, if you train for six months, and let's say you have three hours a week, you can slowly see the difference when you look back in time, but you can't feel the difference as you are working through it. And that's really where I started falling in love with it was when I could see the changes, I could feel the differences. Um, so it wasn't really with the words, it was with the feeling and the passion of using words and how how it kind of just channeled through my body as a medium. So the quote that you read inside my LinkedIn article, which was my habitual voice at that time in 2012 was habitually that of a little girl's voice trapped in a grown woman's body. That was actually something that was picked up by the same teacher that I was just speaking about. And it's something that can be really easily felt and seen if you are trained in the voice to see where the voice is sitting in someone's body. And that was how I discovered that until he had said that I didn't notice it because it is your normal voice. It's just what you use every day for however many years. And so when I came to the realization it was literally when when he said it and then it took me probably a few days, a few weeks for it to settle in. But then it starts to affect you when you really understand what that means and what that feels like. So that was really the realization of when I realized that and, and in its full actuality of knowing that and living it and experiencing as a whole. I don't actually remember how I used my voice when I was younger, but I do know that I was very highly sensitive and I, I, I still am today. I'm a hi highly sensitive, hypersensitive individual. Um, but also at the same time, I knew that I expressed more than my family. Um, so it's not how I used my voice, but I just knew I felt more emotions. I expressed a lot more through emotions. My voice could be used in completely different ways, depending on how that emotion was expressed. Um, and also, I never thought of myself as a person of color growing up. It's not something I look back on in in thinking about that. I didn't actually realize I was a person of color until probably 2016, until someone actually said it out loud. And that that's a that's a pretty big statement to make there, knowing what you look like and looking in the mirror every single day for your entire life. And also where I grew up was very multicultural. So I didn't feel like that I stood out and it didn't make any difference to me that I was Asian um, in a group of white and Indian and different types of races everywhere around me. Um, so that wasn't something that I actually ever thought about growing up. However, it's more so about assimilation into culture, whereby you start to adopt different um, hobbies and things that people do in that society. So I was a competitive cheerleader, I joined sororities, and then I thought I was blonde, you know, and that's the type of thing that starts to go into your head that you don't really see seeping in. And because of what you watch on TV, the movies that you watch, I was born and raised in Canada. So I had more of that Western upbringing than if I was raised in Asia. So if somebody asked me about Asia right now, I couldn't say anything about it, to be completely honest. And that's why when you ask a question about noticing that was, um, what was different as a POC as a child, 
when I discovered um, the penny drop that I was a person of color, which was 2016 at a voice conference um, in Chicago, actually, there was a Korean adoptee who's also a voice teacher. This conference is for just all voice trainers across the world. And um, she was giving a panel discussion on being a person of color until she, I was really listening into what she was saying. Then I literally just sat there and was like, whoa. And then I had a question at the end and there was just, there was just so much stuff going on inside of me at that time that I didn't really know. I just knew I wanted to ask a question. And I know it's a big one when I can feel my heart beating because it doesn't happen like a lot uh, where it's just like, you really need to say something. At the end, when she did pick me to say something, I opened my mouth, but nothing would come out. And then I went into like a hysterical crying fit where I was like hyperventilating and everybody was just like, didn't know what to do, but they could see that everything she was saying was being reflected in my response. So there was a lot of stuff coming out and it was it was big. The, the emotion was really big. It was uncontrollable. And I think that moment kind of encapsulated what it felt like to understand all these different moments in your life as a person of color, not knowing all these things are happening, coming out all in one go when you realize it. Oh, my voice has changed so much over time because um, once you start to work on your voice, there's so many things that change about it. One, you start to notice what your habitual patterns are and what you do in your voice. And then afterwards, you recognize that, okay, if I'm in performance, I do need to learn how to pick up different sounds and different sound shifts or accents and things like that. And my accent now is definitely way more general American than Canadian. Um, but also the habitual, biggest habitual change for me was being from West Coast of Canada, which sounds kind of like this all the time with all the girls. And um, your voice is really just like holding inside your mouth and um, it goes up and you just sound really girly, kind of um, described as an airhead or a valley girl. And um, yeah, that's just how it goes. And the, the voice doesn't ever drop down into the belly, into the gut, whereby if you are communicating your anger, Anger can come from here, but anger cannot really come from here. Uh, you can't really hear the anger. And that was what the teacher I was talking to, um, about earlier was referring to. That's where that little girl's voice is versus the voice down here, which is the, more of a woman's voice, which is um, something that I think a lot of people are not really in touch with sometimes in North America because uh, from, from doing a lot of research from the different sounds and voices that people use, um, because I, my thesis was on how our cultures affect our voices when I did my master's. And it seems to me that from the research that I've done and from the experiences that I've had, a lot of North American women have a higher pitch or they hold a higher pitch in their voice because they do want to be seen as more feminine. If it starts to drop into the natural pitch of the body, sometimes they already start to perceive it as manly because it's lower. But when I came to the UK, so many women use such a lower voice, which is their natural pitch, but they didn't have the same idea of thinking that they were a man. So that was a revelation for me to, to kind of notice that. Um, and then when now I'm bridging the gap and understanding how the voice evolves over time, mine definitely did a massive shift. When I let go of anger um, out of the body, 
and I let that emotion channel through my voice and I let all of the holding in my body of muscle tension go. That's how my voice is the way that it is now that you hear it, that there is a lower bottom tone to it that did not exist. But also that's where the gravitas lives. That's where uh, the conviction lives in my voice, where when people hear it, they know what I mean because it lands now. And so I would say that's really how my voice has evo evolved over time. I think the changes that have happened over time in my voice have definitely made massive changes in the different things that I have done with my voice. If I had not discovered my voice then before I did my master's, I would be in a completely different place, even if I was um, accepted into the program that I did, because you would have a completely different experience of it. What I believe is that if you have the body knowledge of what the voice can do in your body, you can teach it to other people. It's not something that you can pick out of a textbook and be really good at noting what's going on in someone else's body as you're coaching them. Um, in terms of using the voice and understanding how it works, you have to know how it feels because voice is such a physical thing. It's something that's happening physiologically in the body in terms of how the air is coming into the body, how easy is the body, um, what the voice feels like when it's coming out, when it feels squeezed or when it feels flowy. So without knowing all of that, of what I had to physically go through and personally go through myself, the emotional parts, the mental parts, um, the physical parts, without knowing all of those together, there, I don't think that I probably would be a voice coach today, nor do I think even if I was a voice coach, I probably wouldn't be a very good one if I really didn't know what was going on in my own body and my own voice to be able to help other people to hear it, to feel it at the same time and to help them, to help guide them to move through their stuff as well. Through all the difficult times that we're going through right now in terms of race and, and everything, I think our voice plays a big part in it because we all have our own identities and we all think about how we relate to the things that are going on, whether we identify as that race or whether that we have friends that identify as that. At the end of the day, we all have voices to share and I think with everything that's going on, it's really about making space and holding space for people to speak, to share their stories, to share their experiences if they want to. But sometimes about the voice is that it's more powerful to be silent and to decide to do that, not to be silenced, but to decide to hold back on what you want to say first, to make space for some other people who might need to. And that's exactly what happened um, when Black Lives Matter first kicked off last year into 2020. And I was leading a lot of webinars and I led a lot of webinars uh, during that time too, to talk about inclusion, to talk about diversity in voice and to hear people. Some of it was about speaking up, but it's not really all about fighting or anything with the voice, but it's about finding the courage to use your voice in those moments where if you never shared those stories before and you feel like that you want to share your story, that's where your voice can belong if you find the right group and you find the right community to do it with. And, and also in terms of race, there's so much um, emotional volatility that happens within the nature of the subject itself. So when we really start to think about how the emotions affect our bodies and how our voices come out in that aspect, Sometimes we can't control the emotions that come out. So therefore we need to find the right spaces to use our voice. We need to be very careful about it because it's such a sensitive topic. It's a very vulnerable topic. 
our race is our identity, our voice is also our identity. And when we're using all of these all in one go with all the intersectionalities, it's really hard to know what is right and what is wrong, what is right and what is wrong. But also at the same time, we still want to try to be authentic to ourselves in knowing who we are. We want to work towards being able to own our own identities, owning our voices, owning who we are. And like I was sharing with you earlier, I didn't really identify with being a person of color until I realized it. And that's the thing is that when I realized it, a lot of the people around me didn't realize it either yet. So I didn't feel like it was my place to tell them what was going on. But having 2020 and 2021 happen, I think things are moving in that direction. And because I've had so much extra time to think about it from 2016 until 2020, it's given me a lot of insight into how I can lead these spaces for people to allow people to find their voice in, in a place where sometimes it feels like the space is stifled or that, or that they feel like that it's not safe enough to say something because it takes a lot of courage for anybody to speak up from where they're coming from and just to use their voice in the way that they really want to. A good question for the listeners out there listening to this episode, um, to have you think about your voice a little bit more. The only way that you can really do that is uh, in the moment when you're speaking to someone is really when you are checking into how they are responding and reacting to your voice. But also at that same time, even though you are noting how they are responding or reacting to your voice, you won't know exactly how it sounds uh, as you are speaking. So the only thing that you can do is either record and play back to yourself, or you can also, if you place a magazine in front of your face and you speak into it and you have the, the sides of the magazine up close by your ear, you can hear the sound the fastest to hit into your ear in real time so that you can hear what your voice actually sounds like in real time. It's a lot harder for us to work on our voices alone, but if you have somebody around you who could tell you what's going on with your voice when you are speaking, it might give you a little bit of insight into what's going on. But then again, I must say that you have to be very careful about who you ask because people give a lot of subjective feedback all the time. And sometimes they don't phrase it in the right way and they can leave a really um, bad mark on you. It can lower your confidence if you don't get the feedback that you want. And also it depends on how somebody is giving you that feedback. So the things that I would say most is Ensure that when you want to be working in your voice, when you are starting to observe things a lot more about how you speak and how you communicate, that you have a like-minded, supportive group or community around you so that when you ask these questions about developing yourself a little bit more, that you do trust the group around you and that you do trust their words and you know that there's a lot of, a lot of respect because that is really needed when we are working on that. I would rate my life satisfaction probably to be like a nine and a half, ten. Um, I'm actually really happy with what I'm doing, with how I'm helping people. I can't see myself doing anything different, to be honest. There is a little bit of stress right now just trying to manage timelines and, you know, having two businesses. It does get quite busy. But in terms of the core and purpose of what I do, I am really, really, really happy that I have fallen into what I do. It, looking back, really, it's an aligned path of having a BA in speech communications and fine and performing arts and going into performance and then finding out that I am going to do a master's in voice and then owning businesses that teach people how to use their voice 
and and find the courage within them to speak and communicate passionately precisely and with courage I think it was probably quite meant to be hopefully um but that's kind of how I see it right now so I'm quite happy with it well that was a really interesting chat I um okay standout moment I feel like we need to cover it first the valley girl oh my god (laughs) that was like that was as if she was a different person entirely I know and how like on the money it was I mean that was how she spoke I know but when you think about all the like trashy American TV West Coast TV shows that we watch like they do sound exactly like that and I remember distinctly when I was in school where it was almost like popular to speak like that we'd be like you'd have that up at the end of the sentence the very like you know oh I can't even do it without like my mouth is going I'm laughing just thinking about it but oh it's just brilliant so when I when I grew up in Hong Kong and learning English I I swear this is something I made up in my head but I always preferred the British accent I thought it sounded more intellectual it yeah it completely does but then when you grow up here I think the American accent, because it's, it's like what's... cool. Yes, I think pop culture... It's Hollywood. Mm. But, you know, I don't know. What was that Paris Hilton and... What was that Oh, show? The Simple Life. Yeah, like, you know, it's really grating for me to hear the whole, like, oh my God, like, no. Like, I just cannot talk like that. I can't imagine. I don't know if I would be friends <laughs> with myself. But this is what I'm saying. Like we used to watch the OC and things like that. And such a good show. But you think about the way that Summer spoke. It was all very like I can't even do it. But the very staccato-y, like you know, throwaway comment. Like it's just oh, it was great. So coming back to you know us now. So living in London, both of us you know, we're people of colour. And I think London itself is very different to the rest of the country because it's so multicultural. And there are a few things that I notice, right, around being in such a multicultural place. I think we do try to identify people by their voices. I think voice is a massive identifier. It's part and parcel of who we are, what we're about, where we're from, where we grew up. So I don't think you can hear someone and not try to place them. Have you been, have you ever been misidentified? Absolutely. And you know, this happens. It's always your voice, your name, and you don't match. (laughs) (laughs) Like, how can you look like that and sound like that? I, I, I don't understand why it's so mind-blowing to people. But yes, I mean, I if I specifically if I don't use my name. I'm trying to I'm trying to now close my eyes and just listen to your voice. But can you identify race in a voice? Some races. But I actually think it's more because that race is not familiar to you that you identify it, if that makes sense. 
Ooh. So if it was a race that you knew, but they spoke in a way that didn't make it obvious. I think I can always recognise, maybe it's mixed in with accent as well, but I can almost always recognise a Hong Kong person speaking English, even if I don't see them. Yes, because your ear is trained. Yeah, yeah. And I could... I'm trying to think. So because of work, I do speak with a lot of Indian colleagues. I find that the voices are like rich and like quite melodic. And I don't know if that's because of the language. So that even when they speak English, it sounds like, you know, buttery and smooth. You know? <laughs> like... <laughs> I love that. Buttery and smooth as well. Yeah, whereas... Um, whereas... Some, think I think voices. some languages are very tonal. Some are mm. very flat. Some are much harsher. Mm. Some have a lilt. I, I really... You know, I find accents actually very endearing. Like, I really appreciate when I hear someone with a slight accent. So, in particular, I love... When people speak with a little bit of a Russian accent. Okay, okay, tell me, top okay. accents. Okay, fine. In no particular order, Irish. Obviously. <laughs> what Russian. is it about the Irish accent? It just sounds happy. I don't know. They're you always know, happy. You always sound like you want to hang out with them. Like yeah. they'd be good crap. Yeah. <laughs> fun, fun. So, okay, Russian. Um, Irish. I I'd rate British accent. Like I think I like hearing the British accent. Um, what else? I find most African accents very commanding. Like it's very good for explaining things. It always sounds like it's got so much confidence and authority. Purpose. Hmm. It's not wishy-washy. Yeah. I remember... Hang on, one second. When we say accents, these are people speaking English in these accents. Yeah, okay. I think I'll come back to you about regional accents because you would know that better than I would. But I'm afraid I can't take the Australian accent seriously. (laughs) Like, it sounds fun. Like, it sounds jolly and, you know, sunny and all of that and fun, but that's interesting. They, it does sound sunny. If I had yeah. to encapsulate it in a word, it'd be sunny. Yeah, like it's a bright way yes. of speaking. Um, and there's this comedian called Russell Peters. I think, again, this ages me because he's no longer like the most <laughs> famous one. But he makes a really good point. Like there are certain accents like French accent, Spanish accent, you know, generally Latin American people <laughs> just exude like sexiness. Whereas Chinese accent and Indian accent, nobody ever finds sexy. No. Right, and I find that quite sad, like, on my own behalf. <laughs> like, although I don't <laughs> speak with a strong Chinese accent, I feel like that's a bit unfair. Right, because... But also the genders. Because mm. a Russian lady or a Russian man, an Irish man or an Irish woman, mm. I think, again, like, some... The combinations are inherently more attractive than others. Yeah, fair. What about you? Uh, I'm going to ask you like regional accents oh. now. 
Okay, favorite regional accents. Yeah. Within the UK. I really a little bit rogue. I really love the Welsh accent. I do the little like it's very soft and it's actually this is not me being discriminatory, but because I'm not familiar to these accents, sometimes I literally don't understand what they're saying. And one of my experiences with work was facilitating calls between Glaswegian colleagues and Indian colleagues. And obviously on this call, nobody understood either side. Also, this I've got a very similar story. So I spent a long time working in Edinburgh. As you know, which is again different to the Glaswegian accent, but on we'd have a call and it would be our Scottish client. Mm-hmm. We had an Irish person within our team. You had English. Well, you know, I'm going to say very sort of. I feel like my accent can be quite ambiguous at times. So it's sort of you know very neutral English, mm-hmm. and then we had colleagues offshore in India. Yeah, and. This entire call was just spent translating, and I don't mean this literally because everyone was speaking English, business English, but no one person could understand what the person before them had said. And it just became an exercise in repetition. Um, And this would go on, right, for 45 minutes to an hour. Mm, God. (laughs) But, But, I mean affecting work aside like I, I do think I prefer it when people keep a little bit of their accent because but you that's interesting you said a little bit right it's the acceptable face of it so it's got a slight hint but not too much I guess not too much not from a very personal like oh I don't like you kind of sense but if I can understand it it's fine <laughs> but that's an interesting point is it because if they have to change it to make it easier for people to understand them they are watering down what makes the accent the accent well and sometimes I guess as with voice right you know Sylvie talked a lot about coaching people to change their voices for you know either to sound more authoritative perhaps or whatever I think some of this unfortunately does come from protectionism right so that you don't get discriminated against especially if you are of a minority race in a different country. So I read some research about accents and discrimination Mm. and the two accents that are the most discriminated against, Mm. this is particularly close to my heart. So in the UK are Indian accents and the Birmingham accent. Really? And imagine you're a cross-section of that. I mean, there's a pretty big population that is a cross-section of that (laughs) exactly um so discrimination is well and alive and true and to sort of the point of people covering or masking or trying to mask where they're from I don't blame them because it's obvious that they are missing out on opportunities or not being afforded the same opportunities if Mm. they use their authentic voices so I don't blame them um for doing that but it's interesting that our biases are inherent right northern accents sound less intellectual yeah 
Well, and also, I think now I feel bad for like joking about like the Hollywood American accent, but I think that's just it, right? It's it's all prejudices that we've picked up. So you think about the really like Valley Girl accent. I think in most cases, what we see on TV is exaggerated, right? Because... Absolutely, because they're playing a character. Exactly. The same way when you think about British reality TV or, you know, made for entertainment, and we'll pick our favourite. <laughs> I say that with irony. Um, you think about Made in Chelsea. I mean, how many elongated vowels are necessary? I know. Really? <laughs> Can you please do a demo? I don't think I can because I don't think I have that voice. Um, no, I don't think I can. I'm going to try to find it. We can cut this out if I can't find it. <laughs> oh, there we go. I it's found the it. yar. It's all the yarring. So I've spoken to both of you separately. You're not happy with this idea? Bit intense. Take it seriously. Me and Zara spoke the other day, and obviously, I feel like it's just going around in circles a bit. You might regret just not giving it a go. It's, oh my god, it's the elongated vowels and, like, the vocal fry, the fake vocal fry, like, ugh. Like, at the end, like, why? <laughs> Nobody speaks like that. Like, I know people who live in Chelsea, they do not speak like that. But this is where it's actually got nothing to do with regionality in that case. It's to do with... Class. Yes. And mm. I would also say within class it's about fitting in so you might not be of that class but because it's like fashion almost it's like I'm gonna dress a certain way and therefore I'm gonna make my voice fit a certain style so I know you've not you know ever lived in India but I know that there's a caste system in India is that evident in people's voices and accents so okay firstly big country mm. <laughs> many different languages yeah so i'm gonna talk about it from the perspective of people speaking english because mm. i think that's most relevant i you know people talking their own local regional languages slightly different so you can quite often and it's not necessarily class or even caste but you can quite often identify i mean i know when somebody is from bombay sorry we say bombay mm. not mumbai but you can quite often tell from their English very quickly because they'll have oh, very specific bombayisms okay. um, in the way they speak. Similarly, um, people from Bangalore have actually a very new. Theirs is more neutral mm. um, on on balance. Delhi has a as a specific way. Um, other parts of South India again have their own flavour of the way that they learn English. Mm-hmm. Um, so yes, I, I would say you can tell regionality even in the way people speak English. Um, Similarly, I think you probably get that, you know, when you think about the African continent, you can tell the way people speak English, where they're from. Mm -hmm. I don't know, across Asia, I mean, you know, say even within regions of China, Thailand, Vietnam, Cambodia, like Japan, I think we can hear some differences but I wouldn't necessarily be able to identify exactly and place somebody. Yeah, I think within China, I could probably tell if it's northern or southern. Mm. It's quite a big difference. I mean, even in English, right? But so my last question for you before we wrap this up, do you have a preference in 
other people's voices. Oh. Let's talk about let's talk about guys first. Yes. So the stereotype of very high pitched male voices being they're at a frequency that sometimes I find. I don't know that I know any guy with a very high pitched voice. It, it's the frequency I think that I, I sometimes find a little bit jarring. But I think in terms of accents and voices that I like to hear, I'm pretty agnostic and open. Um, I enjoy people's slang words or local words. I think mm-hmm. that does bring character to who they are, and it shows their personality, which I like. Yeah, because there's a whole thing like, I know you're not on TikTok, but <laughs> I know there's a whole trend um, around guys with really deep voices. But I think that's the stereotype, isn't it? That everyone thinks a guy has a voice that's like three octaves down here and is super deep. And actually yeah. it's not, right? Most people yeah. have a range. Yeah. Um, yeah. I, yeah, I, I don't know if I know one who even speaks with that very deep okay. sort of baritone voice. Let me, let me rejig the question. Now, let's talk <laughs> about like people everybody would know, like celebrities, actors. Okay. Favourite voice, one guy, one girl. Ooh. This is a quick fire question. Henry Golding. Because <laughs> you know okay. <laughs> Voice. You said voice. Okay. Okay. Um and female. I, 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 I'm gonna okay. I'm laughing because um a very good friend of mine always uh sends me there's a, a somebody who impersonates her um really well. Kira Knightley. Just <laughs> it's really funny the way she has a very specific way of speaking and her mouth does a very specific thing and it's all very like you know it's a constant pout yes exactly i th- okay i think yeah golding's voice okay agree i don't know if it's my favorite oh i just i really enjoy the very but britishness combined with his what's the actress's name who played astrid I really, I really like her voice it's very soothing. Yeah. I like the kind of voice that could read you a bedtime story. It's like magnetic. Hmm. Yeah. So anyway, people who are listening, remember that Sylvie actually gave us a few questions, right? To think about our own voices. So hopefully everybody learned something about their voices. And I do hope you like your own voice because guess what? You can't change it. <laughs> Subscribe, rate and review on your favourite podcast platform and follow us on Instagram at Culturally Speaking Podcast. You can also check out our website, culturallyspeaking.co.uk for a transcript of this episode. Share your stories or your show ideas with us by sending us an email at theculturallyspeaking at gmail.com.